Hey listener, thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Pixels and Panels, a show where we take you behind the scenes of the comic industry through conversations with your favorite creators and industry leaders. We're delighted to host Teo Ferrazzi as our guest today, the creator of one of the most iconic webtoons, Adventures of God. We talk about his fortuitous journey into the wonderful world of comics, learn about how he met his illustrator Corey, and get some words of wisdom for new creators. We love talking to Teo and hope you enjoy the listen. Hello, Teo. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well. As our listeners know, Adventures of God need very little introduction. So let's dive in and start talking about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Teo. Where are you joining us from today? I live in Brussels and I'm talking to you from my apartment. And what got you into comics? I I don't really have a specific background that relates to comics, but I just always uh, felt the need to be funny in some capacity. I even I tried stand-up comedy and I failed miserably. And there's just something about comics that suits me better. Um, and so I just started reaching out to people who made comics for some time. And then I found I found my groove writing jokes this way and eventually became my job. What sort of comics did you enjoy reading or drawing inspiration from as you were growing up and developing your style as a comic? Yeah, so my favorite traditional comic that I read a lot when I was younger was Calvin and Hobbes. And I think there's a lot of influence from that comic in Adventures of God in its tone and, and kind of humor. But also some comics, you might know that Belgium has a huge tradition in comics, actually. Hmm. And so there was one gag comic that had a lot of uh, surreal, absurdist humor called Le Chat, which means the cat, that I also read religiously. Uh, and, well, I still do, actually. It's still very funny. And so there's a, a few different influences that eventually... Uh, form the kinds of comics that I make. So a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. It's something that I loved to read growing up as well. Do you mind telling us a little bit about the comic scene in Belgium and Le Chat and what sort of influence came from that? Like what what makes a comic feel very Belgian when you read it? it that's a very interesting question. But I think that you could look to the broader culture of Belgium for example, uh, in the art scene, we were a very prolific in the surrealist movement. Uh, you know, Magritte is one of the greatest uh, painters in that movement. He was Belgian. And so there is that sort of, the sense of humor that you see, for example, in Perry Bible Fellowship. I don't know if you, it's one of the great webcomics from the golden age of the mid 2000s. We saw that in Belgian comics as well. I was familiar with it before maybe the American public was familiar with it. that tone that absurdism, uh, I think, well, at least in the, in the domain of gag comics anyway. But then Belgian comics have a huge tradition also in more narrative-driven comics. And that's somewhat different. You surely know uh, the Smurfs, for example. Hmm. They're a Belgian creation. Oh, interesting. And there is a certain uh, also artistic uh, style that's common to Belgian and French comics, uh, the, the story-driven ones where you have very cartoony characters that are situated in a very realistic environment. That's, that's a style that represents French and Belgian comics. 
So when you progressed as a comic artist, was it easy to find other folks in Belgium, given its rich history of producing comics to help you make better or get better rather? Or were you able to connect with folks around the world that were producing different types of comics to help you improve yourself? The way my journey started was definitely online. I found some image boards uh, with other people who made comics that had a similar sense of humor. And I, I honestly probably more influenced by American pop culture than most people where I am based. And so that's where it started. However, I, I was able eventually, once I had established myself, to make some connections locally in Belgium as well. But that's because, ironically, they knew me from the American comics that I was making at the time. So let's dive in with the question that everyone is dying to know about. How did you come up with the concept behind Adventures of God? To be honest, that was almost completely accidental. Like At the time, uh, in 2015, I was just writing random gag comics. And those gag comics, they use all kinds of different tropes, right? And God is just an easy trope to use for, for gag comics. Everybody knows what, that, what that's about. And, well, it just happens that those, a, a couple of comics about God were extremely popular, especially on Reddit. That's what, that was the cause for it blowing up. And so at the time, my artist at the time, and I decided that we should just make more of them because they were so popular. And by the end of it, we had a dozen episodes. And I decided to put them on Webtoon Canvas, which is the, well, it was called Discover at the time, that dates me a bit, uh, Webtoon Canvas. And eventually uh, an editor at Webtoon saw them and uh, gave us an offer to make it an ongoing series. And at, at that moment, I was like, well, I guess we have to make it a series now. <laughs> like that was exactly how it happened. And then starts the conversation. Okay, so how are we going to, continue keeping this comic fresh. I mean, there's only so many biblical episodes you can, you can use and my knowledge isn't even particularly like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of uh, pop culture about, about, about God that on the, in, in all, in, in all media. And this did not start with that kind of, you know, background research that is usually required. I was, it was just to be funny. And Eventually, it became a sitcom where it's not so much about the religious references, but about using those characters as uh, comedic templates instead, with some sort of vague underpinning of religious doctrine that I, that I, that I borrow from my years living in Italy, which is a very religious country. How did you arrive at God and God being sort of the center of humor? Were you just experimenting with a bunch of different things as someone that wanted to make people laugh? Or was there something particular in particular that drew you to, you know, biblical characters? I think that one reason why I thought that I actually did have it in me to make it an ongoing series about God is also that I thought I had a different perspective on the subject. Uh, I felt at the time that a lot of comedy and humor about God and Christianity tends to be somewhat mean-spirited and cynical. And instead, I wanted to do something somewhat more uplifting and positive. It is still thought-provoking and sometimes a bit uncomfortable, but not to the point of being mean. And so that was really my, the driving force behind me making more of these comics. And in terms of reaction about using God and Jesus's characters, 
what was that like? Because like you said, there's a wide range of how people portray God and Jesus in a, in a comedic sense. And you've been able to maintain this positive, uplifting tone throughout all of it, even if you're able to talk about something that's fairly thought provoking. So what was the reaction like when you first started to personify, you know, God and Jesus and paint them in this light? There, there were some uh, negative reactions because, you know, some people who are very religious are opposed to any portrayal of God, no matter what it's actually like. But really, I think that the, the most negative criticism I, I get on this comic is whenever the characters expose positive pro-LGBT ideas. And so there are religious people who enjoy the comic, but they are conservative. And whenever a progressive message is conveyed in the comic, they have a problem with that. So that's like the line that they don't want to cross. But So how did you meet your illustrator, Corey J? He was making comics on an image board that I also frequented, and I was a huge fan. And I just reached out to him saying, hey, I'm a fan. There was no ulterior motive. I just wanted to, to tell him that I liked his comics. He had no idea what I, who I was. But I wish I could tell you, it was like, oh my God, me too. But no, no that's not the kind of uh, meeting. But we did become friends eventually. He started reading my comics as well. And we did not work together for a while because I was at the time working with somebody else. As, as, as an artist. But then when Adventures of God got this uh, first uh, professional contract, my artist at the time made the, the hard decision to quit comics and instead pursued carpentry, which I guess is a bit ironic given the subject matter of our comics. And so I was left without an artist. And Corey said, look, maybe the current artist will come back, but for the moment, I can fill in for him. And six years later, he's still <laughs> my artist. So do you work mainly on the script? Do you do some drawing and sketching as well? I guess, how did the two of you work together? Yeah, uh, I write a script that's basically bullet points. And every bullet point is, is a description of what happens in the panel. I know that other writers in comics have sketched out a more detailed layout of what happens in a, on a page, but I actually like to give a bit more liberty to the artist. And that goes for Corey as well as uh, Guy, spoiler alert, for the next part of the podcast. And I tend to trust them because for, Corey has very similar comedic instincts. And so I don't need to be overly detailed in telling him exactly what kind of like facial expressions or layout needs to be in the comic. So I just write what happens and how characters feel about it, and any important details, that's it. How did you arrive at the art style for, someone described it as a sort of family guy looking, but how did you arrive at the art style of what this would look like, given that there's obviously a bunch of different ways that you could have drawn, you know, God? If you see some of the older episodes of Adventures of God before it was published in Webtoon, it looked quite different than it does today. And... Well, the main reason is that it was a different artist, as I mentioned. And it did look more like a comic. It did not look as ripe for animation, right? Mm. So uh, then when Corey uh, came on board as the artist, we looked at the art style as it was, and we decided that uh, to make it look more like animation, we needed to gradually alter the way it looked. And so over time, we changed it a bit, and he described it as boiling the frog 
uh, in the sense that uh, people did not notice it as it was happening, but now if you compare the first to the last episode, they are very different. And you can see that it's a style that, le that, would, that would lend itself better to animation. It has more consistent proportions and simpler line art. I guess the idea is that someone can look at this and say, hey, this should be a TV show because we also want it to be a TV show. Is that a goal of yours over time? You would love to see it on TV? Yeah, I think that it would definitely work as a TV show. Uh, there, there are some um, issues with its subject matter. I know that some TV shows, would, some uh, TV networks would never carry it, but I know that some others would be delighted to. I think it has what it takes to be a successful TV show. If you were to come up with episode designs for TV, would you have this be more of a sketch TV show? Or would you try and have full, you know, 20 minute length episodes? I think it would be a similar format to what you might have seen on Simpsons or Family Guy. Even on the comic itself, you can see some more ambitious story arcs that span over multiple episodes, like three, even four parts. And when you look at that stretch of episodes, I think that's enough material to make one good TV episode as well. So that would be the basis for that. Were you surprised by the reception of Adventures of God? Initially, yes. I, I mean, it was just a gag comic like any other when I wrote the first couple. And I, it, it was just, in a, in a, I think, I guess I was at my creative peak. Like, I, I made a lot of other comics that I thought were very, very funny, if I say so myself. But those have been lost to time. But that one endured. And I guess it's a lesson that it's not enough to just be funny. There also has to be something that people can latch on to and remember, like a hook, which the other comics that I made at the time did not have. So it was both funny and familiar and hooky enough for people to remember it. And I can only say that in hindsight, but at the time, it did not feel special to me as I wrote it. It was just any other comic that was received much differently than the others. Speaking of other comics, Adventures of God is not your only work what drove you creatively to create My Dictator Boyfriend, which stylistically is a bit different? It's, it's made with, a, with another artist. His name is Guy. He's based in Israel. And it's another project. It's a project that this time was really made from the ground up. Like we sat down and discussed a, a proper story. And then we set out to, to pitch the comic to Webtoon and eventually publish it. And the origin for this comic is a bit odd. Uh, we were... We were trying to, to, to come up with some kind of interesting, uh, you know, high concept premise, something that you can just convey in, in a couple of sentences and get someone interested. And we noticed at the time that there were a lot of uh, comics on the webtoon platform where the premise was, my boyfriend is blank. There's a wolf, my boyfriend is a ghost or even an egg at the time. And we thought, to and just for the fun of it, really, we thought to ourselves, what would be the most offensive and provocative uh, blank to fill in <laughs> this kind of premise? Uh, but and this was the first part of that. But this also set off a, an entire creative process uh, that, that eventually resulted in a much deeper universe. Um, and at the time, this was in 2017, I was reading a lot of articles about the new Trump administration, and there, were, there was all this palace intrigue and all his family involved and all the corruption and all the dealings. And obviously, 
while it was horrific to witness all of that happen in real time, it was also incredibly fascinating. And I wanted to write something like that about a country that's going out of control with that's collapsing due to this palace intrigue and corruption. And I just found it so fascinating. And eventually this whole universe came out of that. And we saw that it had a potential to be a fantastic story. And it's not just that that you're working on. You're also an editor for Dead Love. So how did that get layered on there? That's true. You know, uh, Guy um, also wanted to, to, to write a story for Webtoon. And Dead Love is a, is a passion project of his, very loosely based on his, on his personal life, but mostly inspired by all the experiences and insights he has accumulated over the years uh, romantically. And we worked so closely together all the time that I encouraged him to, to keep working on this, even though it was a very difficult very complicated project. I said, I said to him that this was the outlet he needed to really to, to communicate his sincerity, his emotions to his audience. And so we set out to make it together, but he writes it. It is his brainchild, but I try to steer it in the right direction. And it's mostly a matter of keeping the right tone in that comment. Dead Love is a comic in which the character is inherently unsympathetic, and that's fine. The issue is that you need to stay on the sort of balance between being unsympathetic and just being straight up mean for no And as the editor, I tell him, okay, here he's going too far. You're losing your readers by making him so mean or even too self-centered even for parody. So please try to sort of dial it back a little bit so that he remains likable, even though he is an anti-hero. That is the work of an editor, or at least the way I interpret it. Uh, you've had editors on, the, on your podcast before, and I, I, I'm sure that they've interpreted their job differently, but I'm also very close friends with the, with, with the artists for whom I edit, so it's different. I, I have not been an editor for artists that I didn't, ha- didn't have this kind of relationship with. So what's it like for you to juggle these different projects, especially when your roles vary. I mean, Adventures of God is a shorter, punchier comic. My Dictator Boyfriend, obviously it's centered around humor, but it has a very different world. It runs a little bit longer. And then you're an editor, which is a completely different skill set. So what is it like for you to juggle all three of these? Yeah, uh, these comics, they generate different kinds of anxiety, I suppose, because with Adventures of God, it's like you have to come up with something funny and then the self-doubt creeps in, I'll never be funny again. Every time, just twice a week, there's this existential crisis. And on the other side, my little boyfriend, a lot of the work is actually done before you put pen to paper, at least in, on, on the script stage of things. Uh, the universe has to hold together. Uh, the story needs to be broadly coherent. And then you, then you start noticing gaps in the story and issues, and, and that's another kind of anxiety. Editing is, an ex- is extremely stimulating and interesting while having almost none of the anxiety, which is why I enjoy it so much. I really like the job of enabling someone else's vision because I really try to, I mean, it's easy 
for me in this context because I know this person so well. I try to understand what they're trying to convey and possibly I give them a better way to do that. It's like almost like uh, a kind of sculpt, sculpting mm. the work that, 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 that they have conceived. So in terms of the biggest difference between editing and writing, what would you say that is? Because it seems like the approach that you have to both of those jobs needs to be different based on what you're doing. Editing is extremely analytical. I am reading a script and I'm trying to see not only how I feel about it, but how it would be perceived by a, maybe a, a not so attentive reader. And that's the most important thing that you need to, you talk to an artist and sometimes they get lost in their own world. And I know that because I am one, right? Artist, I mean. And you have to tell them, look, I understand, but you cannot expect a reader to pick up on a reference you made 10 episodes ago. It's that kind of analytical thinking you need to put yourself in the shoes of a reader who is only enjoying this as a pastime activity and does not have this as a job. And that's a very different mindset. Now, on the other hand, writing is, is a bit more freeform. There is that initial sort of spark of creativity and Adventures of God is especially almost boundless in that regard. I can think about just about anything but I need to think about a subject that we haven't done before and come up with a, with, a, with a fresh angle on it that nobody has tried before. And so that's, it's, it's like the other part of the brain, right? I think the left part of the brain is the analytical one. That's the editing. The right part is the creative part. So in 2019, you ran a Kickstarter and you got Adventures of God into print. What did that milestone feel like for you? Um, the main thing for me is that uh, some people in your life will not uh, take your job seriously unless you have something tangible to show for it. And the book was that thing. And finally, my parents realized that I had a real job <laughs> after all those years. But I think it's also the fact that the comic was finally in the same format as many of the comics that I, that I read alone back in the day. And it really feels like another true home for it. It is a sort of relaxing, comforting coffee table read. You know, it doesn't demand much of your intellectual commitment to read it. And it reminds me a bit of, you know, Sunday strips, like Calvin Hobbes and Peanuts in that sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we get to, to, to consume it that way. So I would love to talk a little bit about you working with Webtoon, because you've been working with them for so long. Yeah. You were there with them since... Was it 2016? Am I getting that right? Yeah. What was it like to work with them that early? At the time, they did not have a, a clear strategy on how they, how, how they hoped to, to, to use the properties that they, that they had under their umbrella. So it was a very hopeful, a bit disorganized time where they were sort of uh, tentatively following in the footsteps of their uh, Korean forefathers. And I guess I, sh I should co uh, compare it to how they are now. The organization has become a lot more complex and they have some, uh, some specific plans and more connections in the industry and in other media than they did at the time. So it, it felt a bit, more, a, a bit more low stakes at the time for sure. But one thing that I, that I appreciated almost instantly was the incredible amount of degree of creative freedom that we have and we had at the time. We were able to 
to write about almost anything we wanted, which uh, seemed unusual to us, even though we didn't have much experience uh, in the field. Uh, it seemed like such a such such an incredible statement for the medium of web comics that we could really uh, express ourselves so freely. So you grew up and learned from many print comics, obviously, and you learned and you sort of put yourself out there online. So how do you think mobile comics changed the industry? That's a very interesting question because I came into the industry like this. Um, and I, I, I don't even know what it's like to, to, to work in a traditional industry. I'm sure you have interviewed some artists that were used to the, to the more uh, traditional uh, comic industry, but I was never a part of that. But I, what I can tell you is that this could happen overnight, that suddenly someone from across the world noticed this, what we were doing and thought that it was uh, worthy of being published. And obviously this, this, cannot this cannot happen as quickly as suddenly in traditional comics. At the same time, it's also a medium that was not well established at the time. And I think that when a medium becomes more established, then a lot of the same structures start to form. Um, a lot of the same hierarchies, right? It becomes more and more with time an industry where you need to know people to make any kind of headway. Uh, overnight success becomes less likely. And I think it would be less likely today in, in webtoons than it was at the time. And I think this is just what happens in any medium, regardless of whether it is online or not. And what I would say to people who are trying to succeed in webcomics is to try to get to know as many people as you can. I think connections are incredibly valuable, uh, more than they were maybe back then because I didn't have any. What has it been like for you to watch so many different originals creators come on the platform given how early you had joined as a originals creator? I am incredibly impressed with the diversity of content on the platform. And I know that the mission of the company, of Webkin specifically, but this is also true of other platforms like Tapas, for example, is to have as comprehensive a spread as possible of all uh, the different genres and uh, stories and identities that you can you can convey in a comic, and I think that in the, in, in that way, web comics because they have such a I guess lower barrier to entry than I guess traditional comics. You have so many stories told by by people who might not have had the opportunity to have a platform before, and I think it's really amazing that a place like Webtoon gives a chance to all these stories that might not be immediately palatable commercially. And I, I, I lumped myself in as well because some of the comics we had don't earn them a profit, to be perfectly honest, but they want those comics there to show that the platform really is the home for comics. One interesting thing I've noticed about Originals comics is they obviously tend to run fairly long and Adventures of God is designed to be this very short, I, I like to call it punchy comic. Um, do you think there'll be more of that in the future? Do you think it just works because of the type of comic that you've created? Or do you think most comics, especially originals, will tend to be much longer? I can tell you that there were way more uh, gag comics when we started out than there are now. 
But the reason for that is this. At the time, Webtoon were trying to attract American, Western talent to the platform. And the most visible, recognizable artists were those who made gag comics, because that's what you see on the internet, right? They wanted those uh, stars of the webcomic space. And those tended to make uh, short gag comics, like, you know, Shed or The Awkward Yeti, you know, those comics that you see everywhere. And so they, they, they contacted those people. And I guess I was part of that wave, right? Those gag comics. But over time, the Western market has started to uh, acknowledge the, the Korean manhwa more. And people know what, what that is and they become fans of it. And Korean culture in general has exploded in the West. And now you have a lot of even Western artists who are fans of Korean culture and who are very well-versed in the medium of webtoons. And frankly, those tend to be the most profitable comics to make. And so I'm, I'm guessing that we will have a trend. I mean, it's already there, basically. We are trending towards having mostly story-driven comics because people just get hooked to these comics. They, they want to know what happens next and they, they, they buy fast pass. And it's less, it's, it's more difficult to monetize gang comics that way. You only really get ad revenue out of those. So what do you think is in store for the future of webcomics? You mentioned the trends of more narrative-driven comics. Obviously, there's been an explosion in Korean culture throughout the world. So what do you think the future holds? What other trends do you think might happen? It's an interesting question. I think that we need to look at the most powerful actors in the business because they are really like, they are driving the chain. And Webtoon are by far the most powerful. And their strategy now, is to have comics on their platform so that they have a very diverse collection of IPs that they can hopefully turn into entire franchises. And so that is ultimately their strategy to profit off of comics. For some comics, merely the act of many readers reading is profitable. But for a lot of other comics, the idea of turning them into TV shows, for example, it ultimately will give them their money's worth. I don't know what that means in terms of what kinds of comics will succeed, but um, at least it means that there will be a fair diversity of comics. Right now, the most popular comics tend to be very heavily Korean manhwa inspired in terms of really like the sheer number of readers. In fact, I was working for another publisher web comics that I shall not name, and we started making more European comics for them. Well, you know, they're the style that we do. We were happy with them for a while, but then eventually they realized really the readers were only interested. And this, by the way, is a Europe-based publisher. But their readers were only interested in those Korean manhwas. That was where the money was. And so we severed our ties with them because we did not have that to offer to them. On the other hand, Webtoon will continue to embrace a variety of styles because it's not just having as many readers as possible, but it's also having these comics that can potentially become very successful uh, TV shows or movies. With, with those trends, what do you think holds, uh, is in store for your future rather? Well, I am uh, very hopeful 
some of our comics will make the jump. Actually, um, it is through comics that we have started some relationships with uh, animation studios that I also shall not name because nothing is official. But we started talking with them and we, we start conceptualizing possible TV shows based on properties that we have developed. And so that is potentially the direction that our career could be taking as well. Although I do not see myself living without the twice weekly AOG. That's just something that will always be there. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad and I'm sure a lot of our <laughs> listeners are, are relieved as well. We, we did get some questions on Instagram and for our listeners, you can submit your questions on there. We'll be doing this for every episode. Our first question comes from Diana DeSol, and it's how do you constantly come up with new jokes for several years without this feeling tired or stale? I think that we are blessed with AOG with um, a subject that's like so incredibly easy to, to shape however we like. And so one way we, we can keep coming up with jokes is almost ripping it from the headlines sometimes. Uh, and you know, if, you, if you're a reader of the comic, you know that we often like to make jokes about the current events. Like I was playing Elder Ring that was my life for some time. In that game, you have to kill God. It, it's crazy how, how much religion uh, com, com, comes up again in Western culture all the time. And so it's easy to, to find references and you can then exploit for, for, for humor in the comic. That's one way. But then, then it's also the fact that these, the, the comic has characters with defined personalities. And it's fun to just think about how they might react to any situation. So I have a document with a bunch of premises. Hey, what would happen if this happened to God or if, you know, Jesus and God played D&D? Any situation. You can think about, you can, you can make a mind map of, of, of any sort of awkward scenario or you know, piece of pop culture that collides with this universe and anything could happen. Our next question comes from Halo ODST Ben, and it's, how did all of the other gods come to be? <laughs> uh, this question brings me to the, to, to the fact that in the comic, we don't really talk about other gods at all. <laughs> and I, I want our readers to know that this is not an implicit denial that other gods exist. And I think that if you, you should read the comic as a metaphor. Uh, because if, if you accept what the, what the comic says as, as gospel, then, you, then you, you would have to accept that God exists and he routinely talks to humans, which is not the case. And then we got this question a lot. What happened to Mary? <laughs> oh, God. I don't, I don't want to ruin the magic by, you know, it's one of those things that... And if you want to know whether I, I know what happened to Mary, then I can tell you that I have no idea myself. We can just leave it at that. Um, before we move to our rapid fire round, do you have any advice for someone who would want to be a Webtoon original creator? I think I mentioned this before. The most important thing you can do for your career as a Webtoon creator is to reach out to as many people as you can. And obviously try to be you know, sincere about it. Only talk to people whom you sincerely admire as creators and build relationships with them. That is the most precious currency. I don't believe in meritocracy. People can tell you, hey, you just need to keep making the comics and then eventually things will happen. That typically does not happen. 
But if you if you have a sort of network of support and you learn all these interesting insights on how the industry works from people, then that gives you a hell of a better chance to be successful. And uh, I love talking to people who are trying to get into comics, by the way. I do it all the time. Actually, uh, Guy, the, the creator of, of, of many of the comics that we work on, he was initially someone who reached out exactly this way. And so it became you know, a friendship spanning many, many years. And we're all looking to, to help people break, it, break into the industry, actually, because we want as much of a diversity of voices as possible. All right. Are you ready for our rapid fire round? Yeah. Which fictional character best describes your personality and why? I, I'm going to go with Calvin's dad, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, obviously, I would, I would relate more, more to Calvin when I was younger, but then over time, as many of us, you know, as we age, I tried to relate more to him. And also I realized that many of the sort of insightful, satirical commentary that Calvin made, he just stole it from his dad, really. He didn't think of anything new. Which three webtoons would you take with you on a desert island? I think the most, uh, one of the most talented artists on the platform that I talked to, to recently as well, uh, Alberto Ramirez. Uh, one of my favorite comics on the platform is Melvina's Therapy. It's a psychological horror. It, it has incredible insights, even in, into, into, into the practice of therapy, as well as being incredibly horrific. And yeah, that is definitely one of my favorite comics on webtoon. And um, this I can say, one of Alberto's comics is being made into a full motion picture. Wow. Yeah, that was announced already, so I can say it. So he's he's getting the just praise for his art. And yeah, I'm very happy for him. Um, another comic uh, that I really enjoyed, although it was there for a short run, was Draw and write. This comic had an incredibly funny premise in which there was one guy who outsourced both the writing and the drawing of this comic to two two different people and claimed all the credit. Shenanigans ensued. This comic had incredible production value as well, but it only ran for five episodes. And I still hope it comes back five years later. I, I hold out hope and, you know, I would um, hopefully read the finished version of that comic on this island. And finally, the funniest comic on the platform and one of the funniest people to exist, the creator of Safely Danger, Scott McCoy. I mean, if you want to talk about someone who has been consistently funny for a very long period of time, it is him. It's almost mind-boggling the amount of, of funny jokes that he continues to churn out after all this time. If you could pick any comic creator to have dinner with, who would it be? I think it would be Alberto, the creator of those horror comics. I just think his, his mind is truly fascinating. And he's also an incredibly modest person for, because I, I spoke to him a couple of times, uh, but I would like to have a more in-depth conversation with him because he's so incredibly talented. What's your favorite scene from any webtoon? I'm going to go with, with his comic again because I was just thinking about it today. Uh, there was one, it, it is an anthological series, and then one of the stories is called Hare's Arms. There was one character who was having recurring vision of a hare's ears, but then it turned out that they were the bizarrely disfigured arms of a person, and it was an incredibly upsetting and horrific scene in all the right ways. 
And finally, if you could have dinner with one fictional character, who would it be? I think it would be Fleabag from Fleabag. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but it was a huge inspiration for Dead Love with the kind of narrative style that, you know, you have the character constantly talking to the audience. But I just think that her character is, has this incredible wit and, and sense of irony that I, that I would find compelling. Well, Teo, thanks for surviving the rapid fire round. Listener, please check out Adventures of God and My Dictator Boyfriend. Oh, can I plug something? Yeah, of course. Go for it. Oh, because uh, Corey actually uh, has been working on a comic that is his brainchild. And as of recording, it's about to be published. But by the time the podcast is out, it should be published. It is a cat with your tongue. It is a comic about a cat that suddenly and uh, unwittingly becomes a social media star. And I hope you check it out on Webtoon. Yes, please check it out as well. We hope that we can get Corey on the pod one day. That would be a lot of fun. And Teo, once again, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.